The morning after he and the queen returned from their journey across Edis to collect the magus, Eugenides rose early, his body aching. He rode poorly with one hand, though no worse than he had ridden with two. The queen had been content to go at a walk. People had come out on the streets of the city and down from their farms to stand by the road and watch them pass. They hadn't cheered their queen. They weren't a cheering population, but they'd smiled and waved, pleased as much by the sight of Eugenides as of Edis. Eugenides had wished for the ground to open up and swallow him. Thinking of the stairs, he shuddered. It's okay, Jen. They're probably just excited to see you on a horse. Welcome back to the Little Peninsula, readers and listeners. You're listening to the Aetolian Archives, your Queen's Thief read-along podcast, because keeping track of all those strategically important islands is harder than it looks. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. It's April 7th, 2019. We don't have a new date for Return of the Thief yet, but we'll let you know when we do, in case you're not obsessively refreshing Megan Wellington's blog like we are. It's been good lately. Her blog, some choice memes. If you didn't see the socks, please go on and look at the socks right now. This week, we're discussing the Queen of Atolia, Chapter 10, in which Jen feels sore, practices his swordsmanship, has another heart-to-heart with Edis, and feels even more sore. Meanwhile, Edis and Atolia strategize. Sore swordsmanship. There's also quite a lot about clothing in the background of this chapter. Yeah, we're calling this episode What Not to Wear, because what people are wearing, their clothes and their jewelry, is kind of a through line through all the different parts of this chapter. There's a section where Jen is alone, and then there's uh, a section where he's in a war meeting with Edis. Then he has a conversation alone with Edis, and then there's a whole other section of Atolia and what she's up to. And in all of that, there's discussion of fashion and clothes and what those things mean. At the beginning, Jen notices that his father's valet has snuck in while Jen is out and just, like, gotten rid of some of his rattier belongings. So he's, uh, how inconspicuous I will be next time in Atolia when wearing a Deezy informal wear with gold frogs on the throat. <laughs> <laughs> and so different types of clothes serve different purposes, mm-hmm. and people want Jen to fit into a, a certain role, especially now that the assumption is that he won't be doing the sneaking around mm-hmm. anymore, and so he doesn't need his inconspicuous clothes. But to Jen, that's important. Yeah. And Jen is also reversing this and trying to please Edith's wardrobe, as we see when he... Uh, <laughs> He stole her garnet and gold bead fibula pin because she wore it with something with the wrong scarf that he told her not to wear. <laughs> it says, uh, "I told her not to wear it with that orange scarf from Ebla." <laughs> He's so critical of her of her clothing. He teases her about it so much, and I get the feeling that he's the only person who can. Yeah, because she she is sensitive about it, except when he does it. Mm. I think that he specifically teases her about it because he knows that what she's wearing is so serious for her and it has so much significance socially in the in, in court and with the people and he turns it into something that's kind of funny like oh you're a fashion disaster Helen mm-hmm. and that's very uh, like a, a nice thing about their relationship 
Atolia is also thinking about clothes. There's a scene where she's being dressed by her attendant. And her attendants are talking about, they say the Mede has ordered a new tunic woven with gold in the thread and precious stones sewn in around the collar. And so what people are wearing is a topic of gossip and discussion. And it mirrors the way that everything about what people do in these public spaces is has to be calculated and mm-hmm. it is a performance. And one of the attendants makes a reference that he should buy some other stones that go better with rubies because Atolia is wearing rubies. And so what they're wearing is connected to these rumors about their relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's also quite a lot more to say about relationships in this chapter. We get more evidence of all the the misdirection going on about relationships because Edith tells Jen, evidently Atolia and the Mead are as close as you and I are rumored to be. So it's just so funny that <laughs> both queens are trying to misdirect the other one about who they're with. Yeah, they're falling <sighs> for each other's ruse. Right. And that just creates so many more problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clear to Helen and Jen that, oh, we're acting like we're maybe together, but it's such BS. Yeah, who could fall for that? But it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't occur to them that uh, Atolia has another agenda. Yeah. And then um, it talks more about how Atolia is continuing to purportedly grow even closer and closer with the mead, dipping her eyes at him and looking up from under her lashes, just the way she had seen her youngest attendants flirting with their lovers. I love that. Because it's (laughs) not like a natural thing for her. It's her imitation of what she has seen quote-unquote ordinary women do. Mm -hmm. And I also picked up that line because this is an indication that... uh, relations outside of marriage are like accepted Mm, yeah like these young women have lovers Mm -hmm. like she would have said something else like sweethearts if this wasn't like on that level i think Mm -hmm. which surprises me like i don't know do you think it is on that level and they're just using the word lovers i think more that like who knows um because they would have to kind of please who sleeps with who right like I think that uh, probably relationships outside of marriage are more acceptable if you are not upper class. Yeah. Because there's less uh, at stake, right. I want to say. since this is the upper class, do you think the word lovers is an exaggeration? Oh, right, because her, her attendants would be nobles. Right. right. So I was thinking, like, I mean, these noble women who have to marry in a few years and produce heirs with their husbands mm. don't, I mean, in actual real life courts, of course, they would have to be virgins or, like, their lives would blow up. So, I don't know if this is just an exaggeration or Yeah, or maybe not. it's a, a courtly love. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, who knows what people are up to? Because last chapter, the cousin of Edis and Jen was coming back from a philandering visit in the town but he's a man yeah so that's different who knows i don't i don't think we get any more like evidence about it we get well no wait a minute um i think we get a few more scenes with the attendants in king of tolia where they mention like the word lovers and then they're trying to get the king to take 
Lady Themis as a mistress, but she's already a widow. Mm-hmm. And then they're also saying, like, if he's looking at Hyro instead of Lady Themis, just make him take Hyro as a mistress, even though she's not married either. So I guess that's one thing. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that uh, the queen's mistress is sort of a de facto position. You mean the king's? Um, <laughs> I'm a lesbian. <laughs> and sometimes I forget that straight people exist. Um, Our lesbian agenda is just, it's just seeping, coming seeping out. further in. <laughs> That's what you should really be expecting from this podcast. Um, Not that we've been, you know, quiet on that point until now anyway, but... This is, uh, it's the Gay Tolian archives. Uh, what was that? Oh, the, the king's. I would imagine that the king's mistress is a de facto position yeah, that like somebody position. can have. Yeah, like uh, in That's, the in the French yeah. court. And there's always uh, a, a, a disconnect or like a shady space between what people are supposed to be doing and what they actually are doing. Another interesting thing in the description of Atelia's relationship with the Mead is it says she was receptive to his verbal sallies, a complacent object of his suggestive caresses, which is very gendered, obviously. Yikes. And so she's she's putting herself in the position of the kind of woman that he expects her to be. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that feels very dangerous to me. Mm. It's a like a frightening thing. And I know that Atolia, she's got probably 15 knives on her at all times. Yeah. And uh, could strike at any moment. <laughs> but uh, it's it's still... Uh, it, it, feels, um, it feels like he's, he's threatening. Yeah. Because he... He's obviously someone who's very sexist, very domineering, mm-hmm. doesn't see women as actual people. And, like, all of the things he does as he ramps up to taking control of her country and taking control of her just get more and more extreme. And this is where he's starting to ramp up. <laughs> yeah. And if Atolia were a different sort of person, if she'd had different experiences, she... Uh, like might be might be vulnerable mm-hmm. here, and it it also says she hoped no one told Nehuzurish how she treated the last person who had tried to flatter her. <laughs> Give me the deets. It also does say in no uncertain terms she was happy to have him think her a womanly instead of a warrior queen, and so maybe there there is an element of. Sincerity tacked on somewhere in here. Yeah, I kind of took that as she's happy from because it means politically her strategy is working. Mm. But also, um, she's been seen as this stone cold fiend from hell who's not womanly and is therefore less and a terrible person and a terrible woman. And this is, I mean, this would be a a reason to be more personally happy with being thought like oh he thinks i'm attractive he thinks i'm feminine he doesn't think i'm a fiend from hell mm-hmm. which would be refreshing <laughs> probably right edith and atolia are both thought 
to be not womanly mm-hmm. in such different ways. Yeah. Because you can't win. <laughs> There's no winning here. No matter what kind of personality you have. Uh, I mean, Edis is, um, uh, Edis is a kind, thoughtful, loving person. But because of the way that she dresses and because she is a leader, she's thought of as not womanly. Uh, and she's and not also attractive. Her, also her looks, too. Yeah. Whereas Atolia, um, she performs all this femininity in this uh, exactly as she's supposed to. But uh, because of her uh, behavior, she's thought of. So there's no, there's no way for a person to be... <laughs> an individual person without without failing at gender in some way this is um just my feelings <laughs> coming no, through you know. we've it's a day of inserting our uh, our gender theory so the war update for this episode because again i need to say it over 20 times to figure out what's happening <laughs> There, there is a war going on still. Still, <laughs> it's still summertime. It's in in between the earrings. <laughs> Soonus will empty his treasury to buy ships and look for help arming him because he's now discovered that the cannons are a ruse. Atolia has retaken Chios and Sarah, and she has taken Thycos. And after the late summer windstorms that are coming, Atolia and Soonus will probably attack Edis on two fronts. And Edis is also banking on the hope that Zunus won't find himself an ally, yeah. which there's a lot of risk involved here. Yeah. Jen is still growing. His boots have gotten too small since the last winter, which is related to our ongoing discussion of his age, because we were talking about the latest that you can have a growth spurt is like 17, 18 usually. Mm-hmm. So he can't be older than that. And he's back, and he is to some extent up to his old tricks, but he's different. It says, Edis had heard several people out of the thief's hearing, lamenting the loss of his acerbic comments on the court, but found that she missed his grin more. He still smiled from time to time, his smile sweeter for their infrequency, but he no longer grinned. And so he doesn't have that, that uh, carefree, childlike quality to him. Yeah. And um, this chapter also goes into um, the phantom pains he's still experiencing and just the pain that his arm is in and how that's just, uh, just, I guess, continuing his suffering. It's not, he can't really move on yet. Mm -hmm. The wound he had in his hand never got a chance to heal. Mm -hmm. And he still feels it. But when Edith says that she's thinking about killing Atolia. Uh, Jen specifies that it's the mead that he hates, not her. Mm. It's a sign! It's mean something! (laughs) (laughs) That's chapter 10. Next week, Kamet is back, Edis is besieged on all fronts, and Eugenides becomes a sacred relic. It's going to be wild. There's so much going on in chapter 11. It's really long. We can't wait. What on earth are we going to title that one? (laughs) (laughs) 
Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors.